Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. to episode number 12 of graveyard duck podcast uh with you as always my name is scott and i'm Wes. uh and this week we are going to be talking about ultima 3 exodus for the nes um although taking a slightly different approach to this one um but real quick get out some of the uh nitty-gritty out of the way uh this game came out in august of 83 for the nes developed by richard garriott published by Origin Systems, um, obviously part of the Ultima franchise, which this was the the first one that the NES got, but it was actually the third game in the series. Um, So uh, yeah, this was, um, I don't know, normally Wes, you and I like to kind of take, you know, the idea of looking at a game and talking the nostalgia and, you know, most of these have had some sort of an impact on our childhood or you know, how we grew up. And this was the first one where this is basically a brand new game to both of us prior to discussing this episode, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, I, I would preface that I'm sort of familiar with the Ultima series, um, but more so I think from the magazine ads that were ran throughout uh, some of the later games in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, like seeing in like video games and computer entertainment and different magazines. And I was always kind of fascinated by the the idea of Ultima and I guess the the idea of Lord British and, you know, the the box art with the demons and things like that. It um, really sort of appealed to my imagination, but I'd never really played very many of them. I think I might have played a little bit of Ultima 7 at some point, but I don't really remember too much about it. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a, I mean, it's a franchise I was familiar with. I mean, as an RPG fan, I think the two, maybe three, depending on how, how you want to argue it, uh, franchises that I think everybody knows are Wizardry, Ultima, and then maybe Might and Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sure. kind of the, the origin sources of a lot of this, at least from the Western end. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't really familiar with any of them. I dabbled with four just a little bit. Uh, but not enough to really say I played it. And uh, what was interesting, I guess that the roots of this episode came from a few weeks ago, I was sitting down flipping through an old Nintendo Power, um, and they had a like a four-page spread of... It, it, it was in the, their very first year, issue three, and it was they were talking about, like, what is an RPG? I think we all remember mm-hmm. that section where, as Americans, we all learned, like, oh, so that's what a role-playing game is. Neat. And yeah. in, the, in this particular spread they did, they covered Ultima and Legacy of the Wizard. And mm-hmm. I remember reading that as a kid. I definitely remember the pictures and the the sprites of all the, like, whatever, what is it, a dozen different characters you'd be. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just a, about a month ago, I was flipping through that same magazine, looked at that. I was like, you know, this does look fun. And based purely on the screenshots alone, I decided I'm going to go check this out. So I tracked down a copy uh, brought it home, started playing it, and it was just going to be a little side thing I did on my own. Wasn't doing it for the show, and after you know a few hours of playing, just got really sucked into it. And that's when I contacted you, and I'm like, "Let's do this as an episode." Mm-hmm. And um, the idea basically being, we can still tie this in as a nostalgia-based discussion, but instead of the nostalgia for the game itself, what I wanted to do is kind of discuss, at least here at first, like that kind of nostalgia of discovering a new game um, Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, 
how when we were kids, we didn't have a ton of advertising for this kind of stuff other than Nintendo Power or maybe EGM. Um, right. And so the, this whole experience for me was just really kind of throwback. And I was I was just loving the fact that I discovered this game purely based on screenshots, played it, mm-hmm. had a ton of fun with it. And it reminded me of like back when you'd go just rent a game blind or pick one up. And so I guess I want to start there. So like, do you have any memories of games that you can specifically say like you only played them because of a blind purchase or purely based on screenshots you saw or something to that effect? Um, You know, probably I can't think of anything really um, specific that comes to mind, but um Kind of, I guess, in a, in a similar fashion, I do remember renting Hydlide at one point, okay, and um, not really, not really getting it. I, I don't feel that it was like super approachable, but um, in looking at um, you know some of the the stuff for Ultima, I kind of was reminded of of Hydlide a little bit. But um, I think my experience with this was more. It seemed like because this was published in the U.S. by FCI, right, and it seems to me that. Um, in a lot of magazines, I remember seeing FCI ads a lot for um, like Ultima and I think Dr. Chaos maybe was another one, but I never really rented that many FCI games because I just kind of had the impression that they weren't um, they weren't quite up to par with other games that were out around the same time, whether it be uh, you know from a graphic standpoint or you know programming standpoint or something like that. I, I just always kind of had this sort of I guess, negative impression of, of FCI uh, games. So this is probably one that I probably passed over. Like I said, I didn't really, from an RPG standpoint, I didn't really jump in until Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy on the NES. But um, you know, on the PC side, I had dabbled in a lot of Sierra Adventure games and stuff like that. But um, these sort of more hardcore role-playing games at the time, at least when they were out, um, to me, they seemed a little more, a little bit more unapproachable right and it wasn't until later um you know once i started getting into like D and stuff like that that i could appreciate what these games did but i feel like i was just a little bit too young for them when they came out originally um versus the target audience that kind of grew up with them right yeah and it, it's a very interesting dynamic with this particular game which we'll get into um but I, yeah, it's the the unapproachability. I think probably kept this out of a lot of people's hands. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you did rent it, it was probably one of those where you know you played it for an hour and you're like, "What the hell is going on?" And then just got frustrated and quit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can think a couple other games that this kind of happened to with me. Um, I remember a, a blind buy of um, or a rental of Arkista's Ring. Did you ever play that one? I did not. No, I, I'm familiar with it, but I've never played it. Very, very just obscure box art, you know, driven rental. And it turned out mm. to be one of the most fun games I had ever rented. Um, so that that's one I can think, I can think of several that, you know, through the years as I would go to, you know, electronic boutiques mm-hmm. or Babbage's or whatever it was back then, like just pick yeah. it up and you'd see those little screenshots in the back and be like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta play this. And you know, right. Just, right getting it purely for that reason but um yeah i or, mean you I, know maybe down the road picking up from like toys r us on clearance right um, i can remember them being like sort of the the big ones that like toys r us and kb toys like they would have i could see like ultima exodus being a game you know on sale for like 9.97 or something you pick it up probably saying you know 10 bucks you know um yeah 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 you're probably right and um I don't know. I think it's it's just fun to pick up a game that like I've never known or I don't have any friends that have ever played through this. So it's also not the kind of thing that I followed as a kid to where I already knew like tons of secrets. So yeah, I was I was literally going into this completely unprepared and mm-hmm. it's just kind of a figure it out as you go. Um I used, you know, the hint book that they gave out if if you called in and uh had it ordered. Um, mm-hmm. and what little coverage there was in Nintendo Power just to kind of get me started. And then the rest of it was just to figure it out from trial and error. And um, yeah. I don't know. I think I think that's a fun thing to do because as retro gamers, this is one of those things that's eventually just not going to be available anymore because you're going to play through all of the games or know enough about them to where that kind of blind experience is kind of 
you know, it's, it's inevitably gonna, going to go away. And so I really took advantage Possibly. of this. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's, you know, 700 and some NES games. So there's sure. bound to be a handful that we haven't played yet. Right. So, but yeah, it is a finite experience. I, I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I took full advantage of it. I thought it was a ton of fun. Uh, I encouraged you to take on the challenge of the game as well. Um, I think I made it a little further than you did. It's my understanding. <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like you were saying, um, you know, just kind of in the beginning, as far as it sort of being, you know, you just kind of jump in kind of blindly. And that's kind of what I did with this game. Uh, I had looked through, you know, the hint book. I found a scan of the hint book online and looked through that. And I just kind of jumped in and I started creating a party and it was kind of, um, it's very much, I mean, obviously, if you look at the history of Ultima, which we won't get into too much, but um, Hardcore Gaming 101 has a really excellent uh, write-up on the history of Ultima from the beginning, you know, up till currently. But um, this is very much inspired by, you know, the original versions of Dungeons & Dragons. And it's, you can tell as far as, um, you know, just in the beginning when you're creating a party and you're not really sure what to do. Um, as far as, you know, what characters are, um, are going to be good and things like that. And I think I kind of started and stopped throughout the last couple of weeks as we we're, you know, kind of playing this for the show. And I just kind of found that it's a little bit, I mean, obviously given the age and I think we have to look at it given the time frame in which it came out, but there's so many games that have built on what ultimate wizardry have done that going back to this one, it's kind of hard for me because it's so, um, I don't know. It's so unforgiving, I guess, as far as, you know, as soon as you start off, there's no, like, especially if you're in the menus, there's no way to go back if you've made a choice. Yep. You know, you can't press B to just go back from something. You, you, you're stuck with that choice. So right. whether that means um, attacking a shopkeeper, which I did a couple of times, or, you know, <laughs> somebody that's not there and, and missing an attack, uh, you know, it's very, very much deliberate as far as, you know, what you do is what you do. So. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of like in Final Fantasy One when you know if you have everybody commit to an attack and then that monster dies, like well that attack right. just got wasted. Right. Well, in yeah, this so game it's, too, it's it's interesting to go back and play this because yeah, you're right. This was the inspiration for so many of those RPG franchises that we do know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can't say that like well this broke the mold or changed the template because this existed before that template. So right. to, to try and go and play this with, you know, your Dragon Quest or your Final Fantasy mentality or strategy in mind isn't going to work uh, because this just didn't quite follow that format. And That's true. But however, it, I would argue that since this came out in 83, though, it didn't actually hit the NES until 87. Right. So we probably played it later than we should have, really. True, true. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that's kind of the next little... St- topic I want to talk about is just how different this is from most RPGs that we know, because I know that you and I both did the same thing. Uh, We started this off and yeah, it gives you the option to create your characters and you can actually create up to like 20 characters um, Mm -hmm. and then pick four that are going to be in your party. Uh, But there's like a dozen different classes that they can be. You've got, I think five different races. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've, you've got some variation there. And I think we all, or you and I both did kind of the same thing where it's like, oh, let's get the the balanced party of, you know, you want your fighter, you want your dexterity guy, you want your cleric, you want your magic user. And, you know, that's just kind of the standard that we've all kind of yeah. known. Um, and, and that's as, my go-to in most RPGs is the balanced party instead of like trying to, you know, to go one side or the other. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, I always revert to the old, you know, uh, fighter, thief, black mage, white mage kind of kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, in most games since this, that works for you. Here, yeah. uh, as it turns out, not so much. Um, right. So let, let me go through. I, I made a quick little list of some of the things that are very different about this. So if you've never played um, Ultima Exodus, here are just some things to kind of get used to, because I would recommend this to people. Um, there are mm. just some things you have to kind of be aware of um number one this game uses a food system which mm-hmm. i've only seen i can only recall one other rpg that used food and that was might and magic um mm-hmm. and in the case of might and magic it was every time you go to sleep at the inn your party will heal up but 
it consumes food. And so if you don't have food, you just didn't get to heal that night. In this right. case, you buy the food um, and basically you just have to keep a constant stock of food in each player's or each character's backpack. And as you're walking mm -hmm. around the town, walking around the map, it's slowly going to tick away units of food. Um, if you ever run out of food, then it will slowly start ticking away your hit points until you die of starvation. Um, so it's just one of those little uh, metrics that you have to keep track of. And you're constantly going back to town to the grocery to buy more food for your people because they're going to run yeah. out. Um, sure. It's, it's not cheap and it gets really annoying over time, but uh, it's just an extra little kind of taste of reality. Um, mm -hmm. Second thing that I noted is that there's really no easy way to heal in this game. Um, mm. they, this existed before the time of, you know, you go to the inn, you sleep and you're totally back up to full health. Um, right. I, I think this definitely was a throwback to old D and D, which was no, you heal like, a hit point a day and that's with full bed rest in this yeah. game it's kind of the same you've got your healing spells which do a little bit but not a ton uh the rest of it is you will slowly regenerate hit points over time but it's at a painfully slow rate and mm -hmm. it's it's not nearly enough to consider a it, it, it's not a viable way to actually heal your party it's just to kind of represent that okay over time your wounds are kind of starting to you know scab over but um mm -hmm. to, to, to really do any healing you've got to spend a significant amount of time you know using healing spells um, right uh, another thing that makes this different is when you get enough xp to level up you don't do it automatically you have to go back to the king talk to him and he will boost you up to whatever level you've earned xp for um yeah which and, is weird because there's not really a sense of progression as you're as we're used to with with newer RPGs, in that after killing a certain number of enemies, then you automatically level up. You don't really know until you kind of go back after every couple of fights or so. Right. Yeah. And as it turns out, it's a it's a set system for all characters. Every 100 XP gets you another level. Um, mm. So it's it's a flat amount. It's just until you know that, you know, you're just kind of blindly guessing and even then when you do go talk to him like if you had earned 300 xp you're still first level like you're going to go straight to fourth level like all in one jump um the other interesting thing about leveling up in this is that it doesn't change your stats at all all it does is increase your hit points um mm. basically for every level that you, you like each character regardless of class starts with 150 hit points every level thereafter you get another 100 hit points um, the game maxes out at level 25, so you'd have whatever it is, 2,550 hit points at max level. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than getting more hit points, like you're not any stronger. Your agility is not any better. You don't have more magic points. You're no different at all, except you can just take more hits, um, mm. which is another thing to, to definitely get used to. And you can screw yourself very quickly if you basically level up past the point where <laughs> you can handle fights. Um, right. And that brings us to the biggest change in the, or the biggest thing that makes this game different. And probably the reason that I restarted this at least twice is basically like the game gets more challenging as you progress. Um, mm -hmm. We're used to a, a system where the, the town that you start in, like everything is fairly safe immediately around there. Like you're only going to find right. your goblins and your slimes and your low level enemies as you get further and further out you start finding diff more and more difficult monsters in this case at the start of the game there are only four monsters at least in the overworld that you're going to encounter ghouls skeletons orcs and goblins and you can go to any corner of the world and those are the only four enemies you're going to find um now as soon as you hit level two they all of a sudden start adding second level monsters hit third level, third level monsters start showing up. This goes all the way mm -hmm. up. It, it caps out at sixth, but at sixth level, there's wyverns and dragons and griffins and demons all over the world map. And this is where you can screw yourself over because, you know, if you just suddenly jump straight up to fifth, sixth level, and the only thing that's changed about your party is your hit points, guess what? You can't take on a dragon, but they're everywhere. Um, Especially with whatever weapons that you may have. You know, oh, yeah. you still have the starting equipment or anything close, yeah. Yeah, so you'll you'll just get hosed. And first mm -hmm. time I played it, that's what I did. And uh, yeah. quickly realized that about now, that. yeah, 
I'm fifth level. I can't handle all of these monsters that are everywhere, but there's no safe corner. Like I, there's no place I can go on the map. That's like back to the easy monsters that I can use to gain more XP. It's yeah, the, dra the, easy the dragons are now in. No, no, they're still there. They're just oh, okay. diluted because all of the higher level monsters are out there as well. Um, oh, I see. So it's it, it's just it, it it makes it much more difficult. And yeah, so now you're running around in this sea of just you know ass kickers, and uh, you're not at all prepared for it. So it's 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 a very different dynamic, and it works. It's just one that you have to kind of change your strategy when it comes to how you're actually going to play through the game. But um, sure. I want to take a minute too and just talk about just the battles themselves, um, because you know, again, as we're kind of used to um, sort of the the typical turn-based kind of battles, these are more uh, presented almost like like a, a very rudimentary version of Fire Emblem, almost where you're on kind of an overhead view, you've got your party of four, and you might be facing what five to seven monsters, probably maybe more, and it's all. It's very much like a very simple tactical kind of game, right? Where it is you know you just you make a move, you make an attack, and you repeat back and forth. So it's not like it's not like in Dragon Quest where you get you know battle is over in like ten to fifteen seconds, or Final Fantasy where it goes pretty quick. Um, each I found that in this game, each battle takes a significant amount of time in which to kind of draw the enemies towards you, or to use a repel spell, or uh, something like that. So it, it takes a little bit more of an investment, especially if you're looking to kind of level up quite a bit. Um, you know, you're you're going to be seeing the the fight screens quite a bit in this game. Yeah, and that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, in fact, you spend enough time doing it that um, that the menu that comes up on the side of the screen during the fight put a ghosting burn into my um, LCD screen because of this stupid game. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I, see, I that's, found out that's the person that's not playing on a CRT though. Yeah, well, true. Um, yeah, I found out how to make it go away, but then it came back when I played some more, so I'm like, screw it, I'll just wait till I'm done playing, and then I'll clean it off. So <laughs> That is kind of funny, though. I mean, yeah. that, that's something that, uh, again, if, unless you had a CRT sitting around or, or a PBM or something, I mean, it would be playing this on a, a you know, several thousand dollar TV and burning in an image on the screen would be um, quite surprising. I think. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I, I thought the the combat was fun. Um, it does require a lot more strategy than just your standard. Well, should I cast a spell or should I attack or should I block or flee or whatever? Um, mm -hmm. It's like you said, kind of a grid based map and you've got to kind of work to, you know, put maybe your archers into the right position so that the enemy is going to walk into firing range, um, mm. ca casting spells, uh, just, kind of the way you position and move and kind of work it all out. I, I found it really rewarding. It's a lot of fun. It, you, you're right. It's very, very time consuming. And then when mm. you add to that, the fact that, okay, you're going to just get you know, smoked because these monsters do tons of damage. Mm -hmm. Then after the battle, you're now way down on hit points. And as I said before, no real good way to heal. So yeah. be prepared for another, you know, long stretch of just recovery. Um, and mm -hmm. this this is where the old school D and D really came through for me is you know the the combats you're not guaranteed to win you know just because you're X level doesn't mean you're going to win the fight um, mm -hmm. and when you're done like taking a couple hit points like is a real uh, handicap now um, mm -hmm. I also found it very frustrating and very old school D and D ish that. Um, the, the monster like every time you kill a monster they will drop treasure there's mm -hmm. a little a treasure chest will show up on the world map um and it has some amount of gold between i mean i i saw them as low as like 30 as high as like 90 uh average you know was kind of around 50 ish uh but that was had no uh it was in no way related to how many monsters or how strong the monsters were uh, right. One goblin could drop the same as two dragons. And so mm. it's just, you know, there's really no motivation to fight the stronger things other than they're worth a couple more XP. But um, yeah. the amount of hurt that they're going to put on you and the fact that you get the same treasure is just like, there's no motivation to go fight these big things. And this kind of brought me to my one complaint of the game, which was that 
as you're kind of playing through this, like there's really no incentive to go beyond first level, at least not at first. Um, eventually yeah. you have to, because there are certain things toward the end of the game that you have to go, you know, do. As I said, the wilderness kind of has this level up with you kind of thing. The dungeons of which there are eight, um, maybe seven, I forget. Um, I think eight, that sounds right. They have the full gamut of all the monsters right from the beginning. So you want to be at least, you know, fifth level before you try to go into a dungeon. Um, but you can save those until the very end when you're ready to go kind of finish everything off. But when you're on the world map, here's here's the funny thing about the way this game works. As I said, at first level, there are only four monsters you're going to fight. The, the two undead types and then the orcs and the goblins. Your party, if you have a clerical spellcaster and a wizard caster, um, you're going to have two spells in your arsenal. You're going to have the spell Undead, or all, all of your cleric types have the spell Undead. All of your wizard types have a spell called Repel. What Undead does is it will automatically kill ghouls and skeletons. Um, it's not 100% effective, but if it does hit, it's you know an all or nothing. It will just kill them. Um, Repel does the same thing for orcs and goblins. And the other thing is these spells require zero MP to cast. So... Mm -hmm any first level caster has the spells to do this um, unlimited. So at first level, think about this. Your party can kill everything you're going to fight instantly without having to spend any magic points at all and from a distance mm -hmm. and in mass. So why would you level up? Because once you level up, now you've got tougher monsters that those spells don't work on and you're going to get the same treasure for them. So I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but honestly, like, stay at first level as long as you can, because leveling up doesn't do anything except make the game more difficult without any extra reward. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's what you were kind of seeing when we were talking about it this week, and I found that that kind of made the early combat a little bit more um, not quite enjoyable for me, because I, I really didn't like the combat in this game. I wasn't a big fan of it, but... It kind of using the repel and the undead kind of made it at least um, go by faster, right? But you know, like I said, that that's kind of my complaint is I I didn't like the battle system because it takes so long to do, and it seems like after as soon as you uh, finish one battle, there's usually another monster or two that's creeping up on you. So as soon as you come out of the battle menu uh, or battle screen, then you just show up and you're on the world map. You're trying to get the treasure, and then you. Most of the time, like, I got attacked again. It's like, okay, I'm back into it again. And the first couple of times when you're trying to position your characters at the beginning, it just seems like after a while it kind of runs into the same thing where, you know, you just kind of get all the melee characters, you know, up to meet each other and you get the casters back there and casting undead or whatever. And it just kind of, it got so redundant for me, I guess. I just wasn't a fan of it. Right. But um, I have to, yeah, I have to it, wonder, it, too, though, without the... Without the knowledge of Repel or Undead, if you were to just play this game without having the manual or the hint book or anything, would you really even know that that's what those things do? You know what I mean? It just seems so esoteric that, you know, there are these powerful spells at first level, but unless you just kind of figure it out yourself, you're not really sure if it's ever going to work. Yeah, I don't know. Um I mean, this is definitely the kind of game that, you know, you're going to have to have at least the instruction manual to play because there's just so much valuable information in there about the different races and classes, and it does describe all the spells and equipment. And, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's essential, I think, to have that. Um, Which makes it kind of kind of difficult, I think, to, to pick up and play in this day and age. If you were to, you know, to just pick this up as a cartridge only, or, you know, you just played it on an emulator or something like that, without doing a little bit of research beforehand, I could see where, you know, somebody would give up on this pretty early on. Oh, yeah. This doesn't do a good job of explaining anything, really. It just, you know, everything else is in the uh, the supplemental material. Right. But that could be a memory limitation, too, though, because, you know, obviously this being a PC game at first, you know, you had kind of your, what they call your feelies, where, you know, you had the cloth map, you had the hint book, you had all the stuff that came with it. And, you know, the NES one, you had a limited character set for what you could display on screen. So obviously the dialogue is going to be a little bit more stilted. You're not going to have, you know, a lot of abbreviations and things like that. So it's not really going to tell you right offhand what each thing does unless you really kind of figure it out. 
which right. is how I killed so many shopkeepers. Well, actually, I should say they killed me. So yeah, right. Yeah, that's actually the uh, the guards that come around are one of the toughest enemies in the game, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I wonder too. I would be interested if any of the listeners have played the computer version of this, um, because I wasn't sure if maybe the if like undead and repel are in the computer version or not. Um, or maybe that was something that they kind of added to kind of, I guess, I give, a, give a helping hand to, you know, we'll see mm. players who don't really know what they're doing. Um, I yeah. mean, I, I well, cannot, I can't imagine playing this game without those two, but it seems yeah. just so weird that like you give this unbelievable powerhouse ability to first level characters, but then you very quickly age out of that to where then you have nothing and you're on your own. Mm. It's that's, backwards from what you would think would be in a, a game if it were but programmed from the beginning being in there though too is this kind of you know again kind of drawing on on the D aspect of you know like a cleric is able to to turn undead obviously so i can see that as just being like okay the cleric is going to have this power and we're just going to put it in the game so yeah. uh, obviously since you don't really gain anything on level up besides hit points i could see it as just being like okay this is what you start with you know this is your starting spell or something like right. that Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. And and it, it might just be because of through play testing. Like, hey, if you don't make these spells available and free to cast, then th- nobody's ever going to make it anywhere because, you know, if you lose MP from casting them, you're very quickly just going to be screwed. You know, like you said, yeah. when the battle ends and you have no, no hit points left, no magic points, no way to heal, and mm-hmm. here comes more monsters, you're done. I know. And you um, open the treasure chest and you don't open it with, you know, the thief or something to so get poisoned or you get take damage from the trap or something like that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very unforgiving. And right. I don't know if this game was really tested that much or if it was just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of coded and, and released because, you know, like I said, the, the biggest detriment was once you get into a menu and you, you press a button, I mean, it's deliberate. That's, that's the choice that you're making. So there's no way to go back from that. So, right. Right. Uh, um, so yeah, the one other thing that I wanted to talk about real quick was um, kind of discussing how at, as, we were going through this, like you and I were having several conversations over the last couple of weeks, very similar to what we're talking about now, where your mentality when it comes to playing this game seems to be, or I should say our mentality going in, thinking of this as a typical Nintendo RPG, mm-hmm. that didn't work. No. Um, and I think that as I kind of looked at it, like this game, there's really two ways that you can play this. And I would give this as advice to anybody who's out there who has not played this before and is intrigued by what we're saying and wants to give it a shot. Um, There's basically two approaches to how you can play this game. And you kind of have to, you know, know what to expect each way. Um, The one option is kind of what we were saying, you know, trying to go in as a standard video game RPG, you know, that you're kind of linear railroady adventure you're the hero starting off with nothing and you're going to go save the world um you can kind of take that approach which is just kind of the the grind your way through the the railroad mm-hmm. um the other way is well and i should also say that the, that way that i just described is not what this game was designed to be no. um, you can no. do it it's just not how this game was intended this game was intended to be like an open world sandbox like tabletop simulator Mm -hmm. um this was you know very similar to other computer role-playing games of the time and again i'll go back to might and magic as another great example of one that i played a lot where people were playing a lot of DD in the late 70s early 80s and when you couldn't have a group to get together with and you wanted to play on your own these games were designed to kind of simulate that experience Mm -hmm. and and it wasn't the kind of thing that they intended for you to sit down, figure out, and play through in a few hours or a f- you know, few days or a long weekend. This was the kind of game that you were going to spend weeks or months or years you know, slowly chipping away at. Mm-hmm. And you know, just like a D&D campaign that would go on for you know, years and years. Like, this is the same kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it really kind of shows when you you know, look at some of the things we've said, like how long it takes to just heal up. Like I might sit down, you know, when I was playing this for a lunch break and like in that amount of time, I was able to have one fight and then go heal my party back up. Like that's all I could get done in an hour. Well, that's 
typical and that might be all you plan on doing or you might say i've got two hours to kill all i'm gonna go do is walk around this corner of the world and just dig in every spot to see if i find you know one of the hidden relics um mm-hmm. or go chip away at, you know one floor of a dungeon because we said there's you know whatever seven eight dungeons each one of those also has eight floors so there's a lot of dungeon to explore in this game and oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a slow, tedious kind of crawl to get through those. Um, and there's not really a way to get out of the dungeon easily, is there? I mean, once you're kind of once you go down several floors, I mean, you really have to commit to it, don't you? Uh, no, there's some, I mean, there's magic spells that will immediately take you up or down floors. Um, oh, okay. And and also one that'll immediately exit out of the dungeon. Um, hmm. But they're not things you're going to have right out of the gate. Um, gotcha. So. I mean, that second way I was describing, like, that's the way this game was meant to be played. And it's the kind of thing where you need to say, I'm going to dedicate maybe months to this and just slowly chip away, talk to every person. You know, you're getting these, like, really cryptic hints that, you know, lead, lead to nothing most of the time. But this game is really smart in the sense that if you talk to every person, and a lot of times you have to talk to them two or three times to get them to finally give you the clue. Um, you can take all this information, put it all together, and get everything you need to find all the stuff that's hidden in the game. Um, mm. But it would take a lot of like trial and error. It would take a lot of exploration, a lot of just kind of tedious, you know, I, that takes I guess. A lot of commitment too. It does, yeah. exactly. You really have to devote some time to this game. And this was also, you know, going back to what I said about, you know, before we had games that were designed to be kind of just the quick railroad type experience. Mm -hmm. This was also back in the time when we didn't have a library of, you know, 40, 50 games on our shelf that Mm -hmm. I want to get through this because I've got other games I want to play. It might be like, this is the one game I own. And so this is the RPG that I'm going to dedicate, you know, all my time to just like people do now to you know i don't know skyrim breath of the wild stuff like that like 100 150 some hours in mm. this was what monster that hunter. was or monster yeah. hunter yeah um this is what you would do back in the early 80s was play ultima for 100 150 hours trying to find like where the hell that mystic sword actually is hidden yeah. um so I yeah know. i mean i think we're a little too, at least in my opinion, I think we're just a little too young to really appreciate this generation of, of RPGs because, you know, like you said, they really got their, their start on early PCs. And that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of what PCs were known for at that point were, like you were saying, like sort of D&D simulators. And I can remember like a couple of my, uh, my friends in the neighborhood, I can remember um, a couple of their parents playing uh, games like this. Um, there's a kid across the street that lived across the street from me that, um, you know, we would play um, Punch Out and stuff like that. And I can remember his dad um, playing RPGs like this. I don't know if it was specifically if it was um, Ultima or if it was Wizardry, but I think the appreciation for them kind of stemmed more towards the older demographic at the time. And, and maybe well, that's why I don't appreciate it as much because I came in more along the second wave of the games that were inspired, you know, uh, from these two, but I don't know. Well, and I'll contradict you just a little bit because I am an old soul when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a D and D player from, you know, the early nineties is when I got started into it, but I sure. still love going and back and about probably college. So I have a little and, bit different approach to it, I guess. And even with that, like I prefer to go back and play, you know, we're pulling out all the nerd, stuff now but i mean i'll go back and play original and you know the the white box stuff because that's more fun for me um and these old computer games like i you know love to just dig into the old like the the first might and magic game is one of my favorites and i'll i put you know close to 100 hours into that and i'm about halfway through it um and have no problem with that i have the patience to do it and i just love that experience in sure. this particular case, it was just one where I knew that I wanted to get through this game so we could discuss it fully on the show. Um, so I didn't de- dedicate the you know the time to do it kind of properly. So yeah. yeah, as I said, there's the two ways to play it. Like yeah, you can do it the linear you know railroady way, and my tips and tricks section are going to cover kind of how to make that work. 
it's just not my recommendation if you want the full experience of what this game has to offer. So right, right, and I, I guess I should I should add that um, you know knowing what I know now and where I'm at with you know like just enjoying the history of of games and how they came to be, I can appreciate um, what this game was trying to do, and I can appreciate like white box D and D, and I really reading like reading the rules for that and like the original um, things and seeing all the things that kind of were taken out of the later editions, you know, maybe because I'm older now, I can look at that and appreciate it and go, wow, that's really cool that that stuff was in there. But I find it really hard to approach, I guess. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I don't know. I, th- I think it is definitely a different mentality and it's one that, you know, gamers are very quickly aging out of. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a generational thing for sure. Um, in that it's, it's not always going to be, I mean, we're, we're used to games holding our hands these days and, right. um, you know, Ultima Exodus does not hold your hand at all. No, in fact, it uh, pretty much says, Hey, good, good luck. Um, there's some really mm. secret things hidden out there somewhere. Like maybe you'll find yeah. them, maybe you won't. But, uh, right. I, I was surprised and I did end up playing this all the way through to the end. Um, mm-hmm. I was surprised some of the little twists and turns that it took because there are things that they in no way prepare you for. Um, right. So I don't want to spoil things here on the episode. Maybe off mic, I'll tell you kind of what the, the ending looks like and how that all plays out. But I it's, it. it's very yeah, bizarre. I, I went through it and I watched, uh, I watched the playthrough and actually um, I find that that really interesting as far as like that, the approach that they went with um, at the end, I don't really want to spoil it either, but right. um, it's out there on the internet. I mean, if you want to do your research a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know why we're not spoiling a game that's 30 some years old, but I guess, you know, like you said, there is a, there is sort of a, the mystery um, in this game of, of what's out there and, and what's in there. And it's, I think it's up to the person to discover it themselves. Right. All right. Well, I would say um, if we don't have anything more to talk about, we can jump into some tips and tricks. I can give some people some guidance on how to maybe play through this. So you can experience it yourself. Sure. Go for it. Tips and tricks. Okay, so as I said, this is kind of going to be guided toward if you wanted to play this, you know, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy style, where get through it as quick as you can. Um, I'm not going to spoil where all the things are, so this is still a spoiler-free tips and tricks section, although it's just going to give you guidance on kind of how to not not exploit the game, but at least take advantage of some of the little things that are in here so that you can get the edge without having to just beat your head into a wall trial and error style. Um, mm. The first thing that I would say is that make sure that all of your characters, when you start your first party, can cast either cleric or wizard spells. Um, mm. You should have at least one character that's just a wizard and one character that's just a cleric, but your others can be you know, any other combination thereof that um, there, there are several classes that can you know, cast some cleric spells, some wizard spells, or some of both. The larks, uh, paladins, rangers, illusionists, druids, there's, there's several. But everybody mm. needs to be able to cast at least one of the two types of spells. Um, the reason is straight combat fighters are basically useless in this game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of discovered that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, and you would think that the thieves would be good because they can pick the locks or you know disarm the traps, but your clerics also have a spell called Open, which is the cheapest spell that they get that mm-hmm. disarms it automatically. So you don't need the thieves. You don't need the fighters. Magic is all you all you want. And basically to do all of your XP grinding, the, the first party that I played with had you know the fighter, the cleric, ranger, and um, wizard. And I got to the point where my spellcasters had so much more XP than my fighter, and he just could not catch up because he's not involved in the hand-to-hand combat, and your spellcasters are just cleaning house with the kills. Because we never did mention before also that XP only goes to the character who made the kill. So Yeah, I kind of found that out the hard way where uh, my wizard tended to be incredibly overpowered compared to the rest of the party. Right. So if everybody can cast spells, you've got a much more balanced party in terms of the XP progression, and everybody has an opportunity to get XP. Um, Essentially what you're going to want to do is you're going to stay at first level for a really, really painfully long time. Um, This is 
the most frustrating part of the game just because it is such a grind. But basically, at first level, you have nothing to be afraid of. Uh, you can kill all of the ghouls and ghosts, or ghouls and um, skeletons with undead. You can kill the goblins and the cobalt, or the orcs with repel. You can wipe them out before they even get within melee range of you, so you're never going to take damage. Um, just kind of balance who does the casting so that everybody kind of gets XP evenly. Mm. Um, you're basically going to do this until your total party has about 40,000 total gold, and everyone is sitting at 2,400 XP. Um, mm. That will be enough XP to take you straight to level 25, which is the max, and 40,000 gold is going to be enough to basically buy everything you need in the game. Um, it's just so much easier to do while you're first level than once you level up. So it's tedious as hell, but trust me, it's the only way you can do it. Um, stick to the overworld. Don't go down into the dungeons because that's where tougher monsters are. Don't buy anything. Extra weapons and armor are, are useless and you're going to be able to... Uh, they're, they're completely unnecessary uh, until a little bit later anyway. So... Which I gotta say something about that real quick because it again there's no um, maybe just because I'm used to to later games where the goal is to get gold and you know get better weapons and then move on from there. There's not really they don't really tell you um, you know what what does what and what's a better weapon. Yeah, I mean it's it's listed in the instruction book. Like it does kind of show you the power that each one yeah. does and the the defense rating of each piece of armor, but it makes yeah. a very very slight difference. I guess in game, I mean, yeah, they don't they don't right. really tell you. Right. Yeah. Um it, it it just it and it doesn't change much. The other tip that I will give you is when you do start to buy equipment, um stick to bows. Don't do anything that's close range because the bows can be used short range or long range and it's just so mm -hmm. much more effective to be able to snipe them as they're coming toward you but um yeah at this point just keep saving up money working toward that 2400 xp uh stick to the overworld um don't get into combat at all just use your repel and undead buy food make sure you always stay stocked on that and also use this time to kind of walk around go to all the different towns because you can get to every one of them um there's no dangerous corner of the world and Go ahead and talk to all the people, get all those rumors while it's still safe to do so. Um, at the point when you finally have you know, your 40,000 gold and your 2,400 XP, uh, go buy a ranged weapon for anybody who can use it. Um, not everyone can. Your cleric and your wizard won't be able to. If you have um, some of the other like paladins or larks or whatever, they can probably use a, the silver bow. Um, get, get them something because it is going to help once you go down into the dungeons. Um, and then go talk to the king. He will take all of your characters and turn them up to fifth level. Even though you have XP to go beyond that, there's a in-game cap that stops you at fifth. You have to go find another item before he'll take you beyond that point. Um, hmm. Stop at fifth level. Uh, go around and basically just heal up your party till you're at full hit points. Go find a pirate. They're going to show up now that you're higher level you're going to see a lot more monsters on the screen find a pirate uh, attack them you can now steal their ship um you're going to sail around until you can find a little whirlpool which will take you to the island of ambrosia um once you're there what you're looking for are four shrines each one is dedicated to a different um attribute your there's a strength shrine dexterity shrine intelligence and wisdom what you want to do is find basically all four shrines and he here's where you can actually improve your characters for a hundred gold you can increase one stat one point so hmm. you kind of want to max out the important stats for all of your characters uh clerics you need to max out wisdom wizards you might need to max out intelligence any kind of combat characters you want to max out strength and dexterity um the reason that this is so important for your clerics and wizards is that the the intelligence of your wizards and the wisdom of your clerics also equals how many magic points they have. So if you get those up to 99, you've now opened up all sorts of extra spells, which do a ton more, like in terms of, like you said, uh, immediately descending or ascending through dungeons. Um, there's healing spells that heal a lot more than the base level. There's some that heal poison. Um, there's magic spells that basically take every enemy on the screen down to one hit point, regardless of what they are. Um, 
you're, you're basically going to be at the point where you can handle some of these fifth and sixth level monsters now. Um, hmm. At this point, what you want to do then is go start visiting some of the dungeons. Um, oh, and I should have said, like, that's why you wanted your 40,000 gold, is you're probably going to need all of that to max out your stats. Um, Good lord. Yeah, exactly. So at this point, go start visiting some of the dungeons. You can skip the Dungeon of Madness and the Dungeon of Fire. They're unnecessary. Um, all of the other dungeons, you want to go in, you want to go straight down to level 8 using the Descend or the Sync spell, and you're looking for what are called the Marks. There are four of them in the game. Fire, King, Snake, and Force. Mm -hmm. um, the fire and the Force let you walk over lava or walk over those barriers without taking damage. Um, the the snake, you need to beat the game. The king is the one that once you've gotten that for each character, the king will then raise you from 5th level up to 25th. Um, Holy crap. So that's what eliminates that kind of mark, or that limit. Um, also down here in the dungeons, you're looking for the silver pick and a character known as the king of time. He gives you an important mm. tip that you have to have to beat the game. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where all of these things are. It's up to you to find them. Um, and then now that you have the mark of the king, you can go talk to the king again. He'll promote you straight up to 25th level. Go heal up, get your uh, hit points all the way back up to max. Uh, you should be pretty well equipped to finish the game now. Um, and kind of at, at this point, you can kind of treat it like your standard railroady type adventure. Your, your characters are now equipped to be able to survive. You've got the spells you need. You've got some hit points, so you're not going to die immediately. Um, and kind of, I'm going to say the rest of the game is up to you. There's still some things you need to find. There's a mystic sword hidden in the game somewhere. There's mystic armor. There are four cards that are, necess or that are necessary to beat the game. There's a silver horn. And like we said, the the final uh, castle is not just a straight up fight. It's a kind of a puzzle that you have to solve and figure out. So there's still plenty for you to do and figure out on your own, but uh, that should at least give you uh, the, the toolbox necessary to go figure all that out for yourself. Assuming you have the patience to, to stick with it. You know, if, if you got to the point of having 40,000 gold and 2,400 XP all at first level, you have the patience to do the rest. <laughs> I guess that's true. I mean, and it, it it's probably not so bad this day and age because you can just, you know, listen to a podcast or something while you're kind of uh, doing this. But I guess, uh, I don't know, looking back on it, it, if I was a kid playing this back in the day, I don't think I would have the attention span to, to do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of warning. But I got to give um, you props for, for doing your research on this episode as far as the um, the, the detail work, as far as what's involved. <laughs> it, it's really interesting Though, like I said, I, I really appreciate what these games did for, you know, for RPGs in general. But really, like you said, you know, as you're kind of laying out all the details as far as what you have to do and where you have to go, it's really intricate as far as um, the conditions that are needed to succeed. And it's not readily apparent at all. Right. So for a game that was made in 83, I mean, that's that's a monumental task i think to to be able to accomplish to to do something like that where you know you really have to discover all of these things and um kind of piece everything together to finish the game uh, well, which the, is probably why um when i was reading through like the history of this especially on the pc side uh, that when you beat the game that you know they wanted you to take a picture and, and send to you know richard garriott at origin the lord british because that was a hell of an achievement you know, sh should I still do that? I uh, I took a picture and just sent it to you. I guess I could send it to him too. I got him on Twitter. <laughs> I think you should. I think you should. Uh, I think you should tweet him and uh, see what happens. I'll do that. Um, yeah. No, but I mean, what are the, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I think that you know that's why I'm drawn to these old games. Is that, hmm. um, you know, if if after 12 episodes you guys haven't figured out that you know I'm this old man who likes to hike his pants up and yell at kids. Um, I mean, it's it's very true because I think that the the biggest problem with modern games is that they are they're all style over substance or t typically, and I, I don't want to make blanket statements, but I started to yeah, notice that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you're, on the, I think you're speaking more of like like the the triple A mentality. Type well, and, and even topic. just it depends on the franchise, but like you know, Final Fantasy is a great example of one where I kind of saw this happen of. Mm -hmm. 
the game, you know, the first one was a very gritty grind like this. I mean, you had to buy spells. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you kind of started to progress through the series, it just became these like glossy movies rather than playing. And I mean, mm-hmm. I had I had my limit when I played Final Fantasy IX, and every time I'd finally get control of the character, it would throw me like three new cutscenes I had to go watch. And it's just nine, really? Oh yeah, the it it interrupted me constantly. Um, huh. I like nine a lot actually. But like hmm. when it comes to these old games where you literally have you know a matter of megs to program everything, yeah. like it basically. Uh, it, the only way you were going to sell a game is if you had enough depth in there. And because it it wasn't in the graphics, it wasn't in the sound, you know, your, your meat came from just the Mm. complexity of how detailed this could be. And yeah, I mean, I put in three, because it, it it totally forces the creativity. Then if you have a limited toolbox to work with, and we've seen games, but in movies and um, all other facets of media as well. Right. And and I found a game like this to be just incredibly engrossing and, mm. you know, sucked me in more than, you know, the hundred hours of Skyrim that I put in, you know, five years ago. Um, yeah. That was prettier to look at, but I felt like this was actually a more imaginative experience. And okay. that okay. seems weird to say, but it's like, it's, it's true. And, and that's how I feel about these old games where you can just kind of tell the amount of love that was put in or the passion behind mm. these just giant open worlds that they really are giant yeah. when you think about like how much you're able to do. Um, yeah. So I don't know the, these are always my preferences. I, I love this type of experience. I was a little bit sad that, you know, my uh, experience was somewhat lessened because I had three weeks that I was really trying to plow through because I wanted mm. to finish it before the show. But um, yeah, you know, I've already got uh, my copy of Ultima 4, and I can't wait to get started on it, and I'm going to do that the right way. Sweet. No, I totally get what you're saying as far as, like, you know, really digging into a game and kind of, um, you know, mastering it from the inside out. And I I, I don't really, I don't have the patience to do that with, with this game, but um, I, I can totally understand where you're coming from, but I, I do that more so with... Um, like the Dark Souls games, because I'm working on Dark Souls 2 right now. And, you know, it's one where, you know, kind of like you're describing, it's like I'm kind of figuring things out as I go. I'm making progress, but I'm also um, constantly getting, you know, defeated by bosses and things like that. And I'm kind of learning, you know, the ins and outs of the game. Um, and and it's, a, it's quite a process. I mean, those games typically, I like that whole series, and those games typically take me a long time, but I can just, you know, come back to them and, and play them and get a little bit better each time and, and derive some some satisfaction when I finally clear a boss or something like that. So I totally get what you're saying with you know Ultima, but it's just it's not my bag. I guess is what I'm trying sure. to say. But I I sure. can take that experience in other games that I enjoy and apply it the same way. Yep. Yeah, but I don't think there's any fault in that at all. No. So no, not at all. Like I said, I'm not. I I don't want to make it sound like I absolutely detest this game or I hate it. It's I understand its significance in the history of gaming and I appreciate and respect what it was trying to do. Um, I just don't enjoy playing it that much. Well, as long as you respect me for uh, finishing it, that's all I ask. Sure. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Um, <laughs> all right. So that was a pretty in-depth look at uh, what might've been the most heady game that we've covered so far, but I think it was worth it. No, it's, a, it's a really deep dive into it. And I'm, I'm glad that we talked about this, uh, this game because, you know, I think we were kind of wondering at first, you know, are, are we going to talk about it? You know, are we, are we not? And I, you know, I, I really wanted to discuss it because I don't think that, you know, anybody's ever really taken the time to, to really dive deeply into this game. And I think that, I think that you've done a, a very commendable job in breaking down the particulars of it. So all right, so if any of the listeners out there have had played Exodus or any of the other Ultima games and have some nostalgic memories, uh, how could they get a hold of us, Wes? Well, there's a couple different ways. Um, obviously, you could email us at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Um, you can check us out on Facebook under Graveyard Duck Podcast. We've got a page there as well. Uh, we're also hosted on Geek Nerdery, so um, you can find our show there. You can find lots of other good shows as well that, uh, you know, might, 
scratch that geek or that nerd itch. Um, you could also, you know, mail us a letter, maybe, you know, written on a cocktail napkin and crayon or, you know, send us a ransom note of some sort. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of different ways. You can just show up at Scott's house sometime, just peek through his window. You know, lots of different options. Sure. Just bring a controller. Right. Does it matter what system? Um, just like a virtual boy controller? Is that is that going to be a problem? <laughs> or? If you want to bring a virtual boy over to my house, you can come anytime you want. <laughs> but in All that right, case, bring I'm some aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we got another good uh, topic lined up for two weeks from now. Um, taking basically the complete opposite approach from uh, a deep game like Ultima 3. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun next week or next episode. So looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So until we get to that point, uh, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And just remember, um, as much as you try to kill Lord British in these games, you just can't do it. Game over.